Welcome to Swift Unscripted. Swift podcasts give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear the inside story and be a part of the conversation about all means all with leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. We are recording a remote podcast at the Swift Education Center at the University of Kansas on the topic of implementation drivers as the engine for change. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Ward. Dr. Ward is the Associate Director of Education and Measurement for the National Implementation Research Network. A lot of times we hear it called NERN uh, for short. Dr. Ward provides intensive, informed implementation supports to state and local education systems nationally through her work as the co-director of the State Implementation and Scaling Up of Evidence-Based Practices Center, Center on School Turnaround, and National Center for Early Childhood Development, Teaching, and Learning. Thanks for joining us today, Karen. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you're with us. So why don't we start off by telling us just about your role at NERN? Sure. I'm, I'm part of the leadership team at NERN, and I work on several different projects, as you were naming a couple of them there. Um, as an implementation specialist at NERN, uh, my, I do a lot of training and coaching of uh, teams, developing those teams and then supporting them, working with um, at state education agency levels all the way down to working in school buildings at the classroom level um, as we think about our work within a cascade. A system of support, so from a state level to a regional level to a district level to a building level. So as an implementation specialist at NERN, I find myself training and coaching teams at each of those levels so that they can use best practices in implementation. At NERN, we study how well we do that, what works, what doesn't work, and we use those lessons learned to inform the broader field of implementation science and scaling. Excellent. So you, we mentioned implementation drivers. Why don't you just tell us what those are and how are they used? Sure. So we think of the implementation drivers as the core mechanisms or building blocks or the necessary supports that are needed to help staff have the competencies to use effective practices with fidelity and to ensure that the organization that those staff are residing within, so like at a school building level in a district, are is organized well with its capacity needed in order to support staff using those practices with fidelity in order to get to outcomes that we're looking for. So at NERN, we think about three different uh, categories or types of drivers, those core mechanisms. Um, we think about one type of drivers are, um, is the competency drivers. And those are all about our people within our organization. So how are we selecting our staff to use, the, to use our practices that we're wanting to see in classrooms? How are we training? So what is the professional learning that we're provided? What, are, what is our coaching supports for staff um, to use those practices? And then how are we measuring whether or not those practices are being used as intended? So our competency drivers are all about the people and what are, and are we using best practices and our hiring and our selection of them, how we are training them or providing professional learning and how we're providing that follow-up support following training or that job embedded professional learning of what we call coaching. And then how are we measuring fidelity? Those are our competency drivers. 
And on the other side of our of our visual graphic, the um, triangle is our organizational drivers. And like I said earlier, those are all about how the organization is structured and the procedures and policies and processes that are in place. It also relies heavily on leadership. So when we think about our three different types of organizational drivers, we talk about having a data system in place that supports decision-making. And that data system needs to be comprised of different types of data. So not just student outcome data, but also implementation data, like fidelity data or our reach data, how many teachers are being trained, as well as process data, how well is our training working, how well is our coaching working. Let's look at our coaching satisfaction data as another example. All that data needs to be in a system that's reliable, accessible, provides data that is timely and very relevant, and ultimately is actionable, that we can take action on it, as well as then capacity data for the organization as another key piece of data. So that's our data system. Our another driver is our organizational driver, uh, is our organizational driver of facilitative administration. And that's jargony. NERN recognizes we, we bring lots of jargon. We have our own language often. And what facilitative administration means is that leaders are problem solving and finding ways to make the work easier for those that are engaged in the practice. So how do we ensure that we have processes and procedures that are efficient, streamlined, and are relieving the unnecessary burdens and, um, as we move forward? And that's what's internal to the organization. Our final organizational driver is one that we call systems intervention. And again, you might be thinking systems intervention. What is that? I like it again, it's problem solving, but this time it's problem solving with not just internal to the organization, but how do we problem solve and lift issues that are pushing onto us, for example, at the school level that are outside of our control, that require us to lift up to others outside of that school, such as at the district level or at a state or a regional level. So let me give you a concrete example of what that can look like in action. So back in, when I was at the district level, we, had a we were implementing universal screening um, as an example. And our universal screening, our measure that we were chosen was a curriculum-based measure. And we, were, we had screened all of our students at the beginning of the year. Um, later on, a um, couple weeks after our screening was completed, uh, we were told that mm, you can't use that data. We are going to have to rescreen all the students that are receiving intervention supports from our teachers that are funded through Title I services because the state requires a different screener for that. And the screener was still a curriculum-based measure. It was just a different um, product. And so we had to lift up to our district and to the state team that actually you were, they were getting the same data and there was no need to rescreen our students twice or to have our, our uh, for those that were receiving intervention services, we had the data. Why create that unnecessary burden on our, our teachers, our interventionists, as well as uh, waste time with more assessment when we already had the data that we were needed. And there were two curriculum-based measures. Um, so we, we eventually got that result after many different conversations. But that's an example of something from external, right, a, a policy that was pushing in at the school level
level that we had to lift up and say, we already have this data. It's the diff- same type of measure. It's just a different product um, as, as another, as one example of systems intervention and action. Our final set of drivers or category of drivers that we talk about are the leadership drivers. And there's lots published on leadership. NERN talks about leadership from um, the standpoint of Heifetz and Lori colleagues where they talk about different types of leadership, where we often have adaptive leadership and technical leadership needed. And that's because we encounter different types of problems in our implementation work at a building level or in a district level. Some problems are very technical, they're well-known, everyone agrees on what the problem is, and there's solutions readily available. That's a very different type of um, leadership problem than an adaptive problem. An adaptive problem is one where not everybody agrees on what the problem is, their solutions are not readily available, and there's often different perspectives on what is, what is the solution needed and what is the problem. So that requires a different type of leadership. That requires adaptive leadership. Let me give you uh, two different examples. A technical problem would be that the subs in the building don't show up that day. A principal can apply, has often many solutions readily available for when that happens. A technical problem, solutions readily available, everybody agrees on what the problem is. An adaptive problem could be one such as when there's different competing philosophies around a program or practice and folks aren't recognizing that, and that could be impacting the implementation. That is an adaptive problem. There's not a solution readily available, and we have to use different adaptive strategies to address that. So we we often are flowing in our implementation work between those different types of problems and the different types of leadership that are needed to resolve them. Those are the underlying foundation um, to the organizational and the competency drivers. Taken together, Those drivers, the competency drivers of selection, training, coaching, and fidelity, along with the organizational drivers of decision to support data system, facilitative administration, and systems intervention, with leadership supporting them, are integrated, and they work together to support the practices being used with fidelity and achieving their outcomes. Now, because they're they're integrated, it's often hard to talk about one and not talk about the other, we also find that they're compensatory, meaning that if one is weak or is not as strong, others can compensate for it. So an example of that is we often hear selection is challenging. We have who we have. And if that is to do this work, then how do we ensure that we're compensating with the necessary training and coaching support that may be needed going forward as an example of that compensatory principle in action? So I'm going to stop there, Jessica, and see if you have any questions. I realize I talked for a little bit long there. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Well, what I was going to say is like you'd mentioned that um, sometimes things are a little jargony. um, And um, Mm -hmm. as we heard, there are a lot of components that go into your framework and implementation drivers. So I was really glad that you threw in some examples of um, concrete ways that... um, 
it kind of tell the story behind the drivers besides just the technical mm-hmm. definitions that they have. So thank you so much for providing those examples, especially with the types of leadership and the systems. I really thought those were um, good examples. So I guess um, what I was thinking about as you were talking, as you mentioned at the beginning, that part of what you do as a center is you study the work that you're doing. So you're not just training teams, but you're also studying the work that's mm-hmm. happening with those teams so that you can learn more um, and grow from that. So I'm wondering, um, what are some lessons that you've learned along the way? Sure. A really important lesson we've learned along the way is keep data flowing and get it flowing within the first six months of your implementation. So, for example, we have found it's critical to get fidelity data flowing within the first six months. Without that data flowing to help inform how well your training and your coaching supports are working, you can't engage in that continuous improvement process. Getting that type of data flowing along with, say, process data or your effort data or your capacity data also gives you data to work from on our way to seeing improvements and changes in student outcomes. We often think outcomes are going to be immediate, but we what we've learned over time is that it often takes um, longer to get to student outcomes because we have to establish that the practice is there with enough intensity and and being used with fidelity in order to show an improvement in outcomes. So how do we keep the attention and maintain our focus and the momentum is by having other types of data flowing to support the decision-making and the continuous improvement process that is needed. One lesson. Another key lesson has been for really guiding districts and schools and having strong selection practices and what they're selecting to implement. We have learned that there are several factors that need to be considered, such as what are the needs of the, of the populations that we're serving? The, um, so what's the needs of the school? How well does that, in a, that practice fit with what we're already doing? Um, are the philosophies in alignment? I can give you a personal example from my fifth grader, uh, my own daughter's elementary school. That's been an elementary school that has been implementing positive behavior intervention supports for many, I would say, over 10 years now, Um, has been a a state-recognized school for their implementation with good outcomes. Um, They received extra money last year to become a magnet school, and they had to pick some new practices to implement along with with that magnet status. So they chose responsive classroom practices, another good, strong practice just like TBIS. But as they started their implementation, and I was at back-to-school parent night, and they were describing what was happening, and I was listening, I thought, I raised the question to the classroom teacher. I said, well, how does this intersect with our, our school-wide model for positive behavior intervention supports? Because as you're describing it, there's two very different philosophies to how to manage behavior in classrooms underlying that your techniques and your strategies, and the school was very much trying to make both work at the same time. And Katie's classroom teacher responded, you know, it's an excellent question, and we're really struggling with it as a school because we don't want to abandon our school-wide matrices, for example, and some other pieces and making the two work. So to me, that is an example of 
how to ensure that when you're selecting practices that you're addressing how will this fit with what we're already doing and if it doesn't exactly align in terms of its underlying philosophies um, or its theory of change like we like to think about then how are we going to address that moving and um, help support our staff in in reconciling those differences. So when we're selecting practices, think about need, think about fit, think about the resources that are needed and and do we have the resources to support it or if not, where are we going to find those resources? What's our current capacity? And what's the current level of evidence to say that this is a worthy practice to get behind um, and to put our resources into? And finally, is it, is it ready? Is it usable? Um, do we have examples of where it's been done well with um, similar populations as to the ones that we're, we're serving? Um, and that's also been a big lesson, um, ensuring that practice are usable. We like to think about our criteria of, is it well operationalized? Is it clearly outlined what I should be as a staff member doing and saying if I'm implementing or if I'm using that practice? Is there a fidelity measure readily available to help provide that data that we know is so critical to keeping the momentum going? So selection has and um, looking at those factors of need, fit, resources, capacity, evidence, and its usability has been, has been a, a, a lesson for us. Two more lessons, and then I'll and we'll see how we're doing. One, and this has been a lesson that's been long taught to us from um, our PBIS friends and others at SWIFT as well, is the, the necessary political visibility and support. Implementation work is challenging, and it's hard. We're, we're making change. We're not just change, and we're changing off, off, often the adult behavior. What are we doing? How are we acting when it comes to implementation? And so that takes political visibility and support and for leadership to help us maintain the pace of the work and stay focused. And then a, um, a final lesson is really taking the necessary time for exploration and creating the readiness and the necessary buy-in for the support of this, of your implementation work. Um, starting, um, starting small can also help with this. At NERN, we used to say, get started, get better, and we've been now using the phrase start small and get better. So how can we strategically apply that methodology of plan, do, study, act, and start with a small number of implementers, study what it takes, test the feasibility of the practice as well as what does it take to support it, and um, study how that works and make, imp- make small iterative changes and get better over time with it. Excellent. So I love that phrase, start small to get better. We have learned so many lessons from NERN at the Swift Center. Um, one of the phrases that we use around here is go slow to go fast, which I think kind of <laughs> it, it runs in the same vein, right? That um, in yeah. order to do the, the stuff you want long term, you have to really slow down and think about what you're doing in the short term to make those things happen. So as a lot of the things that you were talking about just really relate to the work um, that I personally do at Swift, but also what we do as a bigger Center. And as you know, Swift has had the pleasure of working and partnering with NERN and you specifically over the last few years um, to help schools. Mm-hmm 
districts and states implement practices that are scalable and sustainable. Um, when you were talking about the selection practices as one of your lessons learned, I thought about how I worked with some districts in the state of Oregon to transform their job descriptions um, and their interviewing practices to align with um, the priorities that they had at the time and just the change that that made in their district. And we really learned those lessons directly from you guys at NERN. So we thank you for that. But I wondered if mm-hmm. you could speak to um, our partnership and how the two centers collaborate? Sure. It's been a, it's been a fantastic collaboration between the Swiss Center and uh, NERN and the SysUp Center. Um, we have um, collaborated specifically on um, some shared measures, some shared assessments, as, um, as well as some other tools and resources. So at NERN and SysUp, um, we've been developing um, several different capacity measures that can be used at different levels of a state education system. One of those is the district capacity assessment. And the district capacity assessment measures how well is the district making use of those implementation drivers and their best practices to support their implementation of the SWIFT, of the SWIFT framework or other practices that a district may be working to implement. So through our collaboration with SWIFT colleagues, they have been instrumental to providing us feedback on the tool, on the district capacity assessment, its use of the tool, um, and how we can make continuous improvements with it. So we've shared our lessons together in in using that tool and how we can use that assessment to help um, our districts learn and provide coaching on how to create and install those implementation drivers in support of their practices. Um, We've also collaborated on tools such as the Hexagon tool. Um, That's one of NERN's most popular tools, and SWIFT has has taken it and thought about how to adapt it and use it specifically with schools as to help guide the selection of their practices as well. Um, So we've collaborated on many different tools. Those are just two examples, as well as assessments of capacity, those the ability to use best practices and implementation and build those drivers to support practices over time. Great. So as you were talking, it just made me think about you. I don't know if you remember, but you trained me specifically on how to um, administer the DCA. So um, uh-huh. our relationship goes back um, to the very beginning of our the partnership between <laughs> our two centers. So um, that's great. And one thing that I learned through that process is just how powerful of a tool it can be to really help districts understand um, the different things going on in, in their district and how they can um, make goals for change. But another thing mm-hmm. that I saw happen is that there would sometimes, because the great number of components um, in the framework, that would sometimes lead to misunderstandings about what drivers are and how they're to be used to help uh, make long-term changes. So what do you think are some of the most common misunderstandings about implementation drivers, and what would you want our listeners to know instead? Um, I think folks often think about um, selection. So one example of a common misunderstanding is with selection, selection of staff, that driver. They often think it's only um, reserved for hiring of new staff. And really, we when we think about best practices of selection, it's for selecting, um, it could be in selecting existing staff in terms of who will use practices, as an example, or selection practices for who to, when you're forming a team, 
team who to be on that team. So we found it really important not to think about um, selection just only for hiring of new staff as, as one mis- a common misunderstanding. Um, often people think another common misunderstanding is that this comes from the district capacity assessment because we often are rec- in, in the DCA when we're assessing your use of the implementation drivers. We're also looking for sources of evidence to support your scoring and often that and what are the products or the tangible pieces. And so a lot of folks say, man, this district capacity assessment is requiring us to just get everything in writing, having a plan for this and is this documented in this zone. Um, and so on. And so people often think it's a um, common misunderstanding is this, we get it in writing, we're good. And it's not it, the, the writing piece of having a documented, publicly available processes and procedures um, for your practices and using the implementation drivers is one piece. Um, and it's important because we're trying to make a host system and one that's transparent and everyone knows how it works. And if it's written down, we can find it and we can make Make improvements upon it over time. But we often don't want that just to lead to what we call here at NERN paper implementation. And we often see that in the beginning where folks get it in paper and then they need that ongoing coaching support to bring the, what they've written down to life. Um, and make those continuous improvements um, as they go forward. Um, so that's an example of a common misunderstanding of the implementation drivers um, and often from their use of the district capacity assessment. Another common misunderstanding is once you eat, we've built training, we're done, right? We've done training. We've got our coaching piece. We're in place. And that's that the drivers are meant to be continuously improved and refined by our data system and, and what is our data telling us and what we're learning. So we should always be what we call at NERN, feeding data forward and backwards between our drivers. So, for example, our selection practices, data coming out of our selection should be informing our training. Our, how well our training is working should be informing back on our selection practices. Are we constantly training on something that we should perhaps be selecting for? Um, are we... Is our, is our training data, our outcome of our training data, being fed to those that are coaching? And where do we need to target our coaching? And in return, is our coaching data informing our training? So really bringing that their integration, those drivers, and that they're integrated to life as we go forward. So those are three common misunderstandings. Excellent. Those are all really um I think important things that I think I even um, learned a little bit on that as well. So good examples. I think the selection driver really hit home for me because I think we did really think about it just on the hiring side. But I think um, looking at the staff and strengths that you have within and how you can utilize those um, to work towards the goals that you have is, is a really important aspect. So thanks for that. So I think you've given our listeners a lot to think about. Um, So let's say a school, a district or state or region um, wants to start using implementation drivers, but really has no idea where to start. What advice would you give them? I would give them um, to say to step back and kind of assess where they're at currently and their use of the implementation drivers we're often not starting from scratch when it comes to implementation of a new practice. Um, so, for example, if we've been implementing um, really good behavioral practices and we're seeing good outcomes, 
what is working about that implementation that we can leverage and use if we're now shifting our focus, for example, on implementing really strong literacy practices? Um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel each time and how we do something. So I think really stepping back and assessing how do we currently select, train, coach, assess fidelity, use data, um, problem solve is an important step to do um, to see what we currently have in place that can be leveraged. Um, we've talked about a couple different tools that can help with that. If you're at a district administrator and you're sitting at the district level, the district capacity assessment can be a great tool to, to drive those types of conversations and assess where you're at. If you're sitting in a school at a building level and you're wondering about your own use of the implementation drivers at a school level, you can use our driver's best practices assessment um, to kind of assess where we're at. Um, I will tell you, it's really hard at a school level to think about those drivers independently from the district because so often there's what we call a shared locus of responsibility between the drivers, between the district and the school. So an example of that, um, the district often sets the, you know, selection practices or hiring policies or practice and the schools are enacting on them. Or districts help secure training efforts and schools are making sure that staff have access to those training um, supports, et cetera, or they may be seeking their own. So I think stepping back and assessing where you're at, where are your strengths, where are area of opportunities, and how they can be leveraged and strengthened as you move forward is always, in, in our mind, a good place to start. And Swift would agree 100%. We're very strengths-based, <laughs> and uh, that's what our model is based on, too. So you are singing our language. We love it. Um, so we're getting Great. close to the end of our time. And as we're closing up here, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know? Um, I just say keep the important message in the work of why we do what we do to ensure that all students um, and each and every student has that high quality education and there's equity to it. Um, I Keeping that as our main focus as to why we do what we do and also thinking about how do we support our staff so that we are um, managing and keeping them here. We know that the data clearly supports that when we have strong systems with those strong implementation supports in place, we have happy staff, we have happy teachers um, who stay, and we reduce our turnover rate. So really thinking about the system, although it's often like um, doing a bathroom remodel where you start on one piece and all you really want to do is decorate, but you find that you've got to work on the underlying floor joists, and that's not really a lot of fun to do. You really just want to work on decorating, um, but take that time to do that and keep that our vision is and keep that vision in mind that we're really hoping for all students to have that high quality education and have the same experiences and achieve their outcomes moving forward. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect place for us to wrap this up. A happy staff creates happy kids and a happy community. So I think that is a great place for us to focus our energy. And even on those tough days, just remember the reason why we do what we do. So thank you so much again, Karen, for joining us. We appreciate it so much. Um, so sure, thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. If you want to know more about the full story about implementation drivers, you can go to swiftschools.org where you can find lots more resources and stories in the field of school-wide transformation. Swift Education Center provides support and equity-based MTSS and inclusive education to promote the learning and academic achievement of all students.